And hello, everybody. It is Tom Chenault. It's Adrian Chenault. And we have got a show for you today. I am texting people shots like crazy because we need to have some people watch this show because it is serious. And we've got the three strongest guys in the profession. One of the craziest human beings I've ever met in my life is Kevin Thompson because he's fearless. I was with him on a stage in Amsterdam once, and this guy stood in front of some people that I just still cannot believe to this day what a brave man Kevin Thompson is. His partner, Kevin Grimes, is here. Smart, smart guy, understands the FTC, understands all that stuff, and has the heart for kids and orphanages the size of a basketball. I love him. And then we got Dooley, and he is in a classification his own. He is like a multi-level marketing bounty hunter and he just goes after wrongs in the profession. And this is the three perfect guys to talk about what's happening in Washington, D.C. and everywhere else. How you doing, Adrian? I'm good. I, I feel like fireworks are coming, so I'm excited for the show. They really are. And, uh, you know, I was, I've been on a bunch of calls and a bunch of podcasts and a lot coming up to this call because people are excited about it. And I keep telling them that you know, I, everything's under attack right now, man. And if you're going to protect yourself, you need people like these three guys right here to tell you where the black and white is so you can stay out of trouble. So I'm going to open it up with Kevin Grimes because he kind of he's kind of the guy that caught my eye when uh, when Kevin Thompson was on this unbelievable vacation. And uh, poor Kevin Grimes was just working his fingers to the bone and really got some eyeballs really paying attention to what's going on at the FTC. So Kevin, take it away. Kevin Grimes, take it away. Tell tell people what's happening and why it's so important that we get into agreement about how to save this profession. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Tom. It's great to be with you guys. Um, yeah, on July 1st, so not even a, a month ago, the FTC dropped a bomb uh, and announced some new proposed rulemaking uh, but among other things, it, it, it included dusting off an old weapon that it, an, an enforcement tool that it had not used since the early 80s called the Penalty Offense Authority. Um, but in addition to that, um, the well, th this wasn't part of their July 1st announcement, but as I was doing research, actually something that preceded the Penalty Offense Authority was the day before Tina Truth in Advertising delivered a letter to the Federal Trade Commission advocating for the resurrection of the Penalty Offense Authority. Um, but in addition, they named 660 MLM companies that are doing business here in the U.S. saying that, hey, you need to you know, put these companies on notice. They have a long and rich tradition of making improper income claims and improper product claims. But as, as I did some research, you know, I, you know, my question was, well, what in the world precipitated that? I mean, other than you know, Tina's lifelong heartburn with the profession. And I discovered an article that was written in October of last year by one of the FTC commissioners and Samuel Levine, who's now the director of the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection. And in this article, they were advocating for the resurrection of the Penalty Offense Authority. Um, and then subsequent to that and prior, there, there have been a lot of really significant events that have been happening this year. Uh, in April of this year, the FTC lost, had a, suffered a massive loss in the U.S. Supreme Court regarding its ability to bring enforcement actions and obtain certain sanctions under Section 13B. Well, in a 9-0 unanimous decision against the FTC, 
the agency got its head handed to it when the when the entire Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that. And so interestingly, in February, Mr. Levine gave an interview. And in that interview, one of the things that he discussed was that the agency is targeting the MLM industry as one of its top five targets, uh, specifically in the arenas of income claims and uh, and product claims. And so then again, fast forward to July 1st with the announcement of the resurrection of the penalty offense authority. And here we are. And, and this again, not to sound melodramatic and not to, you know, I don't want anyone to think we're engaging in fear mongering. We just want to present an accurate picture of the current regulatory landscape, but the penalty offense authority is a game changer. The sky is not falling. It's absolutely not the end of the profession uh, by, by any measure, but this is uh, a, a weapon in the FTC's arsenal. I would argue probably the most effective weapon it has and, and the industry and all the players in the industry need to sit up and take notice. Kevin, can you share companies where this has been used against them in the past? Well, like I said, it, to the best of my knowledge, it hasn't been used against any MLM companies. Um, one of and, and they don't just it's not so much about going after individual companies. That's what their old 13B strategy. I, I affectionately call it the silver bullet one shot judicial assassination litigation strategy. But that that's more like, the, you know, Troy, you'd appreciate this as a Marine. That's like using, you know, a 50 caliber sniper rifle, you know, single shot, bolt action one at a time with the penalty offense authority, the FTC can pursue entire industries at one time. So hundreds of companies, if they want to, they, they, so to answer your question about an example back in the, in the early eighties, a lot you know, bamboo was, you know, kind of becoming the hot thing in fabrics. And a lot of companies were, you know, ostensibly arguing bamboo uh, fiber products, but in fact, a lot of them weren't bamboo. They were, they were rayon. And so the FTC, um, you know, initiated an enforcement action administratively, you know, addressed one company and, you know, then declared, Hey, uh, you know, making bamboo fabric claims for a non-bamboo product, obviously is, is a deceptive practice. Uh, and, and the point of that was to, you know, get the industry to change its ways. Not all the players were doing that, but a lot of them were, and most of them didn't change their ways. And so the FTC deployed the penalty offense authority and went after some of them and just put the hurt on them. So what do you guys think of this? I mean, Kevin and and Troy, I mean, you guys, what do we do? What is, I see Donna Maria Saratella here. She's a compliance queen. I see Richard Brooks watching. What do we do? Do we lock arms and just raise the integrity to such a level that we're policing ourselves and not getting policed by them? Or what's the solution? Company owners, what's the solution? It's it's uncharted territory. And I think the, the tone that KG is, is trying to strike here is the right one in, in that it's it's not the sky is falling it's you hope for the best you prepare for the worst and by preparing for the worst we have to assume that the ftc is, is as unreasonable as they seem and uh time and time again they they surprise us and so i think we we have to assume that they're going to do whatever they can to exercise as much power as humanly possible to put down companies with minimal expenditure uh I use stronger language than uh, my partner, Kevin, and with Troy. I, I think it's pitiful. I think the FTC should be humiliated. And I think the new chairwoman should take steps to rehabilitate the reputation of the FTC. I'm not seeing that. Um, it cannot be understated how humiliating it was for them to lose 
not six three. You 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 can't you can't blame this on a partisan vote in the Supreme Court. It was unanimous, which the Supreme Court, you have to understand, for Sotomayor to agree with Clarence Thomas, that's a big deal. And the Supreme Court said the FTC has been abusing its power since the 1980s. And Chopra in the in the paper that, that KG's researched and written about and he's talking about, he basically blames a Republican in the 80s for the strategy of suing companies and says, actually, you know what? We don't need to do this. We have this other tool in the toolkit. And he, and, he, and he dug in there and he found this penalty offense authority. And I'd like to think that the FTC will engage with more discussion with the marketplace, get feedback, you know, open things up for public comment about uh, ways to regulate. I don't think they're going to do that. So um, I think the right attitude is hope for the best, prepare for the worst. That being said, um, the, uh, the, the good news is, that, and I could be wrong, but what I see, the FTC does seem to be shifting its attention to more meaningful matters. Meaning this new commissioner, she's 32 years old, which is very young, obviously, but she, they picked her because she's hyper-focused on big tech. And that is more than enough on the FTC's plate, right? They're focusing on Amazon, on privacy issues with Facebook, on Google, on things that change the structure of the economy. Personally, I don't know if this new commissioner, she's never even said the words network marketing. I don't think she cares. And in the, in, in the grand scheme of things, why should she? When you're, when you're trying to regulate Amazon, do you really care about a company selling skincare products? So I'd like to think the FTC is going to prioritize and sort of let the marketplace deal with scams and, and bad companies. Uh, but again, that would assume that we're dealing with reasonable people over there. And who knows? We'll know a lot more when they use this power the first time. And right now, we just don't we don't have the experience to to know there, there has been a case, the case that KG referenced with bamboo. And they did say network marketing would be a good candidate for penalty offense authority powers. But we haven't seen them fire the gun yet. Let me ask a question on that, gentlemen. Um, if we want to define MLM network marketing direct sales, does that not include a broad spectrum of companies from financial services to real estate. I mean, how, how do you niche this down to define that if you're a regulator? Well, how many of these companies make income claims, Troy? Okay. So, so that's what, so that's what we would look at is those that make the income claims themselves. Well, that's, that's what the FTC has said. And I, I, I'd like to offer maybe a counterpoint to what KT just said, um, you know, with respect to, and, and I don't disagree with anything he said about the chairwoman's, the current chairwoman's uh, perspectives and priorities. But on the other hand, we do have uh, Commissioner Chopra, you know, one FTC commissioner, uh, as well as the, you know, Samuel Levine, the director of the Bureau of Consumer Protection, specifically say, this is one of our top five targets, MLM. Uh, and specifically income claims and product claims is one of our top five targets. So, yeah, I, again, I appreciate that the chair ultimately calls the shots, but we, we have to understand that the worker bees have a lot of latitude in the decisions that, that they get to make. Second point, um, I, I would 
argue, and you know, I'd, I'd love to hear your input, that there is quite a bit of institutional frustration within the FTC regarding the entire, not the entire profession, but, but regu regarding certain aspects of MLM, specifically income claims, product claims, as well as, you know, compensation plan design and the, and, and, and the need for customers. And, you know, for example, over the last 26 years, what the FTC has done with respect to the issue of MLM compensation plans and, you know, slowly, you know, articulating some need for an emphasis on customers, customer acquisition, customer sales to where we are today in 2021, where they're saying, hey, this is an absolutely hard and fast rule. And, and, and you know, with the federal courts chiming in as well. So again, my, my sense is there's quite a bit of frustration within the interior of the FTC regarding our profession. All right, let's take a break so we stay on track so we actually can have this thing on 550 radio stations on the Genesis Communication Network who are sponsoring this show. So God bless them. We'll be back right after this. We've got Grimes, we've got Thompson, we've got Dooley, Chenault, and Chenault. We'll be right back. How do we do? Made this sound like a law firm. It's very good. Yeah, very good. Chenault and Chenault, you know. Oh, my gosh. son. All right. So this is the sponsor of the show. You guys all know my little boy, Adrian. And, uh, you know, I am scared to death for all of us just because we're being sliced, diced, and just look at what they're doing with all our data, whether it's Clubhouse, whether it's Facebook, whether it's anybody. And if you do anything today, you guys, protect the customers in your database, protect the people in your database, and take control of your database. Own it yourself. And there's an app for that. And I want you to talk about it. Yeah. You know, what we're, we talked about facing unprecedented times and no matter, you know, what profession you're in, you know, this is not unique to network marketing. It's a, it's a world where there's such a, you know, there's so much more centralized control of your data with a Facebook or a Twitter or an Instagram or a LinkedIn. And they just, they can turn you off and you have zero recourse on that. You are just you know, you, you're using that because they allow you to use it. You don't pay them anything and you have no recourse. So you have that in sort of the way you market your business. Maybe you have that in the way that you build relationships with customers or prospects, right? So, you know, how often do you, you've got this phone, you know, maybe your company's paying for it because of the job that you have or whatever you're doing. And there's personal and there's professional contacts all inside of this thing. And your company goes out of business or your company decides they don't like you anymore or your company does whatever they do. And all of a sudden your data that you thought belonged to you because these are real relationships that belong to you is gone. And so what I believe is that it's if you're truly a professional, if you really care about the relationships and the value of the network that you're creating for yourself, then you want to take your you know, you want to take your destiny into your own hands. You want to have something that you really own, that you pay a little bit of money for even, that gives you control of those things so that nobody can decide that they just, you know, they made a mistake, they don't like you, they, you said something that you weren't supposed to say or that they decided you weren't supposed to say, even though the, they're changing, you know, they're writing the rules as they go along and all of a sudden all your stuff goes up poof in a, in a puff of smoke. And so what contact mapping allows you to do is to have a place that you actually own that you carry with you across anything that you do, that you carry from company to company, from career to career, everything that you do. And it gives you this ability to make sure that you never lose track of a contact, that you never lose track of somebody that can help you or somebody that you can help. 
in building your career. And what's cool about that is that there's a, a totally free way for you to do that. And then there's a, an enhanced way where you pay a little bit of money, you pay like a buck a day to be able to control your destiny and the value that you create by being the kind of person that looks after your relationships is, is immense. And so that's what it's about. So this is pretty funny. All these really good friends of mine are going, Tom, would you mind not talking during the show? <laughs> so they're asking me to keep my mouth shut and just talk in the commercials so they can listen to you. So thank you, Richard Brick, Blissbrook, for that and also John Hammock, because you guys are assholes. So I just want you to know that. And that's unbelievable. How hard to get that in during the commercials. Yeah, I can cuss during the commercials. So that is just way so funny, but that's the way it goes. And I know these guys are saying important stuff. And I'm telling you what, I think your company's coming for your information too. So thinking your all your information at your company CRM is safe, you better relook at that one also. Look at Advocare, look at a lot of these companies and just put that in your pipe and smoke at contactmapping.com. We're coming back right after this. And we're back. It's the Network Marketing Leadership Show. And we got the fearsome threesome along with the not so fearsome twosome. So my <laughs> name is Tom Chenault, Adrian Chenault, sponsored by contactmapping.com. But we've got three guys here with some brains. And it is Kevin Grimes. It is Kevin Thompson. And it is the one and only Troy Dooley. And this is important stuff. I'm telling all of us, we have got to band together. And it can't be through a pea shooter called the ANMP. Uh, the MLMIA, the new Patriot deal, whatever that thing's called. It can't be through that. We've got to get bigger than that and make some noise because I'm telling you what, it's coming and we've got to be ready for it and re ready to like unite and fight back with a lot of people talking about this isn't right. So that's why I wanted to do this show today. So Kevin, you were talking when I went to the break, go ahead and pick it back up and let's go. There's two Kevins. Yeah. Which um, KJ, I'm going to pick up on what you were saying earlier. Kevin was talking about, uh, sorry, my light keeps going in and out, uh, sort of the FTC's frustration with the profession. And uh, I agree with that. The, the, the thing that frustrates me is that it seems to be a moving standard. So in my opinion, the FTC's had a problem with the, with the space for, for quite a while. And they, they signaled that they want to see more retail sales. That was the main feature. Yep. That's, that really distinguished legitimate network marketing companies from pyramid schemes. Uh, pyramid schemes have very low retail sales, if any, and it's mainly a lot of internal consumption, a lot of recruiting. Okay. And the FTC made it clear. We want to see customers. Uh, they, uh, to a little refresher here, they, they had a big settlement with Herbalife and said, basically said Herbalife was operating as a pyramid scheme. Uh, the chairwoman famously said, I'm not saying they're not a pyramid scheme and had uh, certain conditions for Herbalife to operate with to, to continue. One of those conditions was 66% retail. And Herbalife did it. And they've grown, which, which is a sign that they weren't a pyramid scheme, candidly, my opinion. Uh, they just weren't, they weren't coding customers properly before the settlement. And then after the settlement, they started coding them better. And uh, they're doing fine. And they're doing it with a, with a court-appointed monitor. So it's not the honor system here. People are auditing their numbers. Then you, you look at, um, so they, they want to see retail. Companies are starting to show retail. Look at uh, Naora. Naora had 60% of the volume registered customers, customers that were on the grid, that were preferred customers. They still got sued. 
And I think that's the FTC's way of trying to trying a new strategy to put down companies because companies in our space are getting better at aggregating and coding customers. And so now the FTC is thinking, okay, well, how are we going to do it now? And they, they literally, they, they, they made up some sort of weird standard regarding pay plans. Uh, all of this to say it's, it's frustrating and it's what we get paid to do, Kevin Grimes and myself, to make sense of this. We're seeing mixed signals. Uh, as far as what, you know, the, the FTC won't specifically say, this is what we want to see. This is a good, we want to see, you know, 50% retail. This is the structure of the plan. And candidly, they, they, they really can't because they can't make the law. Uh, but uh, the point is the standards, it's just a little loose. And so now the Kevin Grimes used the, the analogy of the Death Star. The, the, the Death Star blew up just like in Star Wars, very unlikely shot, their, their ability to put down companies without there even being a hearing, which by the way is pretty pathetic. And we all knew it was unfair. Everybody knew it was unfair uh, for, for the FTC to, to shut down companies without even a notice. It's just the way things were and we went along with it. It was BS, right? BK Barreco at Vima was not a flight risk. Okay, he had five kids in Arizona. He's not gonna run off with the money. It was, it was absurd. And um, Death Star is blown up. And so in Star Wars, what do they do? Well, they build another Death Star. So this is just the, F the FTC's attempt to try to maintain power. We got to see it in use. We got to see how it works. Uh, I'm not sure. Okay, so we're, we, we talk about the FTC. Tom asked the question, how do we self-police ourselves? We have income claims going out of this world by companies who's who's also regulated by the CFTC or the SEC, in your guys's opinion, can we even self-regulate if all if from the ownership down, they're also giving the FTC or any other regulator the the, the burden, saying we we'll just roll the dice and play the game. I mean, are, are we going to see a complete split where we have legit companies building databases of customers? And they come out with a feasibility study like Advocare that said, hey, we can still make enough net profits. We don't need the network marketing arm because we got all of these customers. Or, I mean, this is a convoluted mess and I don't know how we clean it up. How do you guys see cleaning it up from the company side? I mean, we know the regulators there, but how do we self-police this thing? So the good news about Troy Dooley is he's my, been my partner in the radio business for how long, Troy? 20 years? and Something like that. Long time. Great job. So we ask a very tough question going into a break. Here we go. We're going to take a break right after this, and we're going to come back. This is a hard break. We can't fake it. If I could, you know, so we're going to go to a little little commercial. Might talk about contactmapping.com a little bit, but we'll be back right after this. It is the Network Marketing Leadership Show. Good God, Troy. Is this your first rodeo? <laughs> Dude, you they're going to come back after the break. That's oh what you want. God. Here we go. So we got the, somebody try to remember the question. How you doing, Paco? I'm good. I'm good. I So you just turned 70 a couple right? of weeks ago. Correct. And this contact mapping is built on Tom Chenault. It's built on how you did what you did over all these years and got to where you got to. Right. And so why is it so important? Well, today, and we did not have, we did not set this conversation up. He always does this to me. I don't know if you can see this, 
but I'm quite proud of this this morning. I woke up and I said, holy mackerel, I've got 85 people I needed to remember. And if you look at my phone, you can see there's 85 people who here it is early in the afternoon. I've already got 85 people who've gotten text messages from Tom Chenault, just remembering them and letting them know I love them. And the reason I tell all of you that is because that's all anybody wants in life is to be remembered. That's why you go to your favorite restaurant. That's why you do a ton of stuff that you do. And the same thing with your family and everything else. It's called the BLTSs. All you really want to do is belong. All you want to do is feel loved. All you want to do is know you can trust the people around you and that you're safe with them. And that's all network marketing and truly relationships really are. And that's been my golf game forever. I let the Jordan Adlers and the Ray Higdons and the Eric Warries and the Fraser Brookses and the Richard Brookses and the, what else, Bubbling Brookses, all those guys. Uh, Brooks. Yeah, do it. Do all that brain stuff. I don't have those brains, but I can out love and out heart anybody. And I just fire my brain, hire my heart. And he built an app around it. But the trouble with the app is it doesn't work unless you use the darn thing. Yeah. True story. And we train that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's true of anything, right? You know, you think about the conversation that we're having today, you know, so much of what is important in this profession is being able to demonstrate your professionalism. And how do you demonstrate being a professional? You know, professionals keep notes, professionals organize them, their business professionals treat that, you know, it's called network marketing treat your network like it is your profession, because if you're going to be a professional network marketer, then there is no other way to be successful in this business. You know, you can't, it, it's extremely unlikely that you are going to attraction marketing your way all the way to the top, because there's just not that many people that build a big enough following to do that. It's, it's, you know, you're one in a million doing it that way, but everybody has a, a community. Everybody lives somewhere. Everybody has a group of people that is constantly expanding. And, you know, it's funny, one of the people who we work with in our community, who's one of our customers, her name's Elle. And she goes, you know, the story I was telling myself is that I just don't meet that many new people and that I'm not growing my business because I don't meet enough new people. And I started using contact mapping and I started tracking this stuff. And what I realized is that my problem is not that I'm not meeting enough new people. It's that I don't remember any of them and I never follow up. And so now it's just like sand through my fingers. And now I'm following up. Now I'm remembering their stories. And now I've gone from, I don't meet enough people to holy smokes, maybe I meet too many people and I got to keep up with all this stuff. And this break only goes for about 15 more minutes. So you people stay with it for <laughs> a couple of more seconds is all. But you know what? I'm just going to tell you, all you want to be is remembered. And if you think about the way that I introduced this show, and I did it intuitively and unconsciously because it's a muscle I've developed. I basically brought up with each one of the guests what they like most about themselves. You know, Kevin, Kevin Grimes is passionate about those orphanages and those kids. Kevin Thompson loves that family of his and that was running and that beautiful running wife more than air in his lungs. And Troy is just a patriot at a major league level. I sell you what you want to buy back because I do that, but you have to know what they want to buy by remembering them and constantly interviewing them. And you master that, you master it. And not only that, you become a better human being in the mix. And that's the name of the game becoming a better human being that attracts people instead of chases people, treating people like a prospect instead of a prospect, like a human being, you're going to be blown away. And all you need to do 
is fire your brain, hire your heart, go to contactmapping.com, put on your spikes and get out there on the field. Okay, we're going back. This that's that long breaks. That's the last long break. Okay, two more seconds. One more second. Here we go. And we're back. It's Tom Chenault. It is Troy Dooley, the question asker, asker, Kevin Thompson, Kevin Grimes, Adrian Chenault. And this has been a great show. This is a long segment. We're trying to get down to brass tacks to give you guys a roadmap as to how to keep yourself and your company in business. Because these are times when people are trying to get your data and do what they can to put you out of business. And we don't want that happening to you. And these guys are the guys to help us get guided through it. So back to you, Troy Dooley, kind of ask that question of shorter one, like less than 12 minutes. So how, <laughs> so how do we self-police ourselves when sometimes the company owners themselves don't seem to care? And on the other hand, you've got company owners that say, we don't really need the network. We have enough customers and our net profits won't change. How, how do we get this to where we're all working together instead of working with different agendas? Yeah. Okay, G, you want to take it? Okay. Well, um, I, I, Richard Brooke did uh, a Facebook Live on July 10th, and I watched it twice. It was so good. And I, yeah. I, took, notes. I took a lot of notes. And he said, um, one of his first comments out of the box, he said, you know, Troy, people who get an MLM are not well trained. And he's, he was talking about compliance issues, you know, not, not sales issues, not marketing issues, not recruiting, but when it, they're not well-trained with respect to compliance. And so the question, part of the answer to your question is how can we be self-policing? Well, how can anybody police anything if they don't know what the law is? And, and so, and, and Richard, I thought Richard did a superb job uh, just talking about the industry and largely it's wholesale failure to train people about the legal and regulatory aspects that are directly relevant to their business. You know, is, is the area of income claims relevant to any type of MLM business? I think so. Um, but not only that, you know, it's, it is super, super low hanging fruit. The, and what I mean by that, and this is a shock, you know, Richard made the comment that you, you can't make any claims at all. Well, that's not true. And I, you know, respectfully disagree. You can't absolutely make claims. The key is to learn how to properly make claims. And so, you know, so we, we, we kind of have these two polar extremes in, in our profession. On the one hand, say anything you want. And on the other hand, don't say anything at all. And I kind of analogize this to playing football. I don't care if you're you know, last year's Super Bowl champions. If you're confined to playing in a 10 foot by 10 foot square, you won't even be competitive with a junior high school team. In football, we have a very, very large piece of real estate. It's 120 feet wide. 360 feet long with the end zones. It has very clearly defined boundaries. You cannot operate outside of those boundaries ever. But within those boundaries, let's, and this this is where I'm coming from, and I know KT and, and you and everybody, you know, on this call or show shares this paradigm. Let's teach our people how to take advantage of every available square inch of the playing field. And let's teach them every single legitimate play that can be made. Now, there are lots of things that can happen inside the playing field that are illegal. OK, and, and the people need to are against the rules and they need to learn what those are. But again, it's really unfortunate that the coaches, that the executive leaders in our profession simply have failed. The profession in terms of teaching and empowering distributors to know what they need to know 
so that yes, yeah, so that they can be self-policing, but also so that they can hold company that they can hold the company accountable. It's like, hey, I, I don't think we're doing this income thing right. Or hey, I you know, uh, you haven't provided us with any substantiation for some of these amazing product claims. But then then people get terminated. Or on the other hand, you've got company owners. We talked about this before the show started. They know the rules, so they take it offshore thinking, hey, we can go as long as we can before we get hit. So we've either got ethical people or we just got some unethical people in this business. And and if we want to self-police it, we got to be able to do that. But I don't I don't see a way of doing it. We can call out companies all day long. But when you've got the DSA who says, wait a minute, companies can't be held responsible for what their reps say. And we're sitting here saying, yes, you should be. It, it just seems to be the reps don't know what and where do they go to get the answer when the company doesn't want to give them the answer. Now, didn't Brooke do Richard Brooke do some sort of association that was going to be driven by education and the buy in and the funding was going to be by the companies? Wasn't there some? Is that a good idea? To have these companies all kicking a bunch of dough for lobbying, but also kicking in a bunch of dough where they all lock arms and have a standard of integrity and excellence that they all agree to and abide by. And then you've got these goofballs out here making all these crazy claims on trading or whatever it is that all of a sudden they get kicked off the island because they can't belong to the cool club, club kids, whatever that's called, just because they can't live inside of the ethics that the other company owners decided should drive the bus. Is that something that's possible, you guys, or not? Or did that even make any sense? <laughs> I'm, I'm very skeptical, cranky when it comes to associations, only because they can be infiltrated by bad companies, similar yeah. to what happened to the a and uh, it, it's, it's It's not hard for a bad company to pretend to be good yeah. uh, by, by locking arms with, with an association. Um, Richard's concept was sort of a, a, a good seal of approval uh, type badge if a company exuded certain behaviors. But that's sort of the point of the DSA, right? They have a code of ethics and membership is hard to come by and uh, and they, they lobby. That's that's their point. For, for me, I obsess on what I can control and the sort of advice that I can give clients. And, and, and what KG is saying, it's really important for individual companies to do their absolute best to train their people. First and foremost, that's where it needs to start. Now, as far as, you know, the, the expression is, you know, clean up your bed before you go out and change the weather and solve climate change, you know, get, get your own house in order. Uh, so I, I think uh, it, it, in years past and, and even today, I, I always said that the companies that try to do things properly are at a competitive disadvantage because the companies that cheat get away with it. In most cases, some cases, the bad guys get caught, not every case. And so if you're trying to do things right, it's, it's sort of a disadvantage. And so sort of the, the thinking of owners in this space, whether they say it or they don't say it, is that we're, they want to sort of run with the herd of gazelles and every now and then one gets eaten. And that's just the way it is. Now, things might change under this new penalty offense authority if it does what we think it might do, not only can the FTC recover, you know, disgorgement of profits, meaning if you make $100, you have to give up $100. They can actually punish people. Right. And uh, I think that would be a pretty strong deterrent to make people, you know, sober up. Uh, not only are their, their earnings at risk, their entire 
net worth is at risk. Right. And, Kevin, uh, can, I, can I ask you a question on that? If, yeah. if this is so powerful, if the penalty offense authority is so powerful, do you think that if they play that game that that an industry, whether it's ours or someone else's, would then sue the FTC back to say, no, you don't have the authority to do this? Is I, that I a hope so. I, I hope so. But I, I'm not smart enough to, to anticipate the legal argument, but something feels off about that, how they can essentially put an industry on notice yeah. through a newsletter blast, let's say, uh, and, and then, and then uh, go after people um, w without, without serious due process considerations. Maybe they can. And I say that I didn't anticipate the way 13B went down. I just always assumed the FTC had this power to shut down companies without a hearing. Well, if you look at the statute, it says, you know, the FTC can, can get an injunction, period. Well, it took, it took some creative lawyers to say, well, it, it says nothing about money, and they challenged it all the way to the Supreme Court. So to answer your question, uh, somebody's going to push back. And, and I imagine whoever those early companies that get popped, they're going to be the ones that push back, and we'll see, we'll see what comes out of it. Okay, let me ask another question a little different. In the TINA letter to the FTC, there, there was an actual kudo that said, we have noticed that income claims have gone down in the network marketing profession, and they honed in on product claims. And this is coming out of 2020. We saw how many letters came from the FTC. Are, are the product claims maybe more of a focal point right now than even the income claims to the FTC? KJ, okay, you want to take that? I, yeah, I, I think they're both uh, huge issues. <laughs> Is one larger than the other? I, I don't know. You know, in the mind of the FTC, I, I think they're both uh, just huge. And again, they're they're easy, easy scalps for the FTC. They're, they're low-hanging fruit. And I, I think, you know, so many people speak in terms of, you know, well, we just need to rise up in arms and we need to, you know, oppose the FTC. It's like, well, I, I think opposing deceptive income claims or, you know, opposing uh, deceptive product claims is going to be an uphill battle. OK, you know, the FTC is doing what they're supposed to do in, in you know, in terms of, you know, cleaning up the marketplace from deception. All right. That's that's part of their mandate. You know, what we need to do as a profession is we need to take a really honest assessment of, you know, hey, are, are we making deceptive income claims? Are we making deceptive product claims? These are probably the two most counterintuitive areas in the profession that the vast majority of people don't understand. For example, if I take, you know, product X and I really did have cancer, I've got the lab test to prove it. And three months ago, and I, you know, I started taking this product and I've changed nothing about my diet, nothing about my life. And now I'm cancer free and I've got the lab test to prove that. I don't understand why I can't share that truthful information with people. And the answer is because it's not substantiated. You know, and we talk about what substantiation is, you know, when we talk about safety and efficacy claims for products, they have to be substantiated by competent and reliable scientific evidence. My experience is merely anecdotal evidence that doesn't, you know, pass muster. It doesn't sustain the burden of proof with respect to product claim. It may be true. OK, maybe the product really did cure my cancer, but it's my claim is not substantiated. And the problem with income claims is, again, if I really do make $2,000 a month with my company and I've got, you know, copies of my checks, I've got bank statements, I got 1099s 
to prove it. Gosh, I don't understand why I can't make a, this truthful, substantiated income claim. And the answer is because it's deceptive. There, there are three different attributes that are required for any type of act, you know, advertising or promotional activity to be legal. And they are, you know, truthful, substantiated and non-deceptive. The problem with income claims is that all income claims, save for one category that nobody makes, all income claims are deceptive, period. And if sorry, from a regulatory perspective, okay? Because when I say I make $2,000 a month, it leads the reasonable and prudent prospect to believe everybody in the company makes $2,000 a month or most people make $2,000 a month or it's easy to make $2,000 a month, none of which are true and hence the deception. So again, we're not, we're not going to win the battle on, hey, we should be able to make completely unsubstantiated product claims. We're not going to win the battle. We should be able to make deceptive income claims. We need to understand and, and we need to teach people what is a deceptive income claim. We need to teach them what is an unsubstantiated product claim. And then we need to teach them how to do things properly. So the, the, the cure for deceptive income claims is a proper income disclosure statement. And lots of companies, to, to KT's points um, and, and to Troy's point too, the industry has gotten so much better in the last 20 years about developing proper income disclosure statements and and disseminating them at least at the corporate level all right we got to take a break we're going to come back right after this it's the network marketing leadership show man kg dismounted on the perfect second i mean i know he like did he it was so it. perfect to land yeah i almost interrupted him right before that unbelievable compliment to everybody and uh take it away adriani <laughs> Denise is watching. She's following along. That's pretty cool. My wife? You, the one and only. Oh, man. Am I in trouble there? I am in trouble. I can't even tell you why. I almost blew something. Oh, dear. I'm mar right. My marriage. All right. Let's go to work. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. So let's talk contact mapping just for a couple minutes here. We'll try not to bore anybody to death. Okay. But, the, you know, in the, in the midst of all of this stuff, where does – where does contact mapping fit into that kind of professionalism piece in your view? Because you're developing relationships instead of treating people like, you know, meat. I mean, it's, you're giving people the chance to find out what they want to buy and then sell that to them voice versus using a bunch of hype and story and all that jazz to, to try to promote them into something that might not be right for them. I mean, the more that you get to know the human being across the table, you're more, the more, you, I, you know, you guys know, I go to an AA meeting every day in my life for the last 32 years. If I sat down in an AA meeting and pitched anybody on anything when they're first getting sober, it's like pushing them off a cliff. And it's kind of like that with every human being that you're sitting across the table from. Look at them to how you can serve them, not how you can sell them. That's all it boils down to. And inside of that, the person that knows the most about the most people wins. And that's all it boils down to. I'm living proof. I'm a great place to visit. You don't want to live here. Ask Dooley. And, uh, you know, before very long, I am going to get on your nerves and you're going to be wondering when I'm going to leave. But in the time that I was at your house, I am going to have a dossier on you in my phone and you're going to never be able to get away from me because I'm going to love you even though you don't love me. And that's what it boils down to, right? Yeah, uh, I think that's completely true. I also think, you know, there's there's just this element, you know, you were looking at what the, you know, what the FTC did last year. And, you know, there were plenty of things that they decided to go after that were clearly out of line. But there were such a number of things, too, where it's like, Jamie Christmas, like this is just normal people talking about normal stuff. And they're just, you know, they're they're just 
rounding people up and taking them away. And, or, or at least in terms of what they're highlighting. And one of the things I think about is like, if you're just having conversations with people and, you know, doing that in the normal course of business versus plastering stuff all over social media, you're just, you're not putting a, a target on your head or on the head of your company inadvertently in the same way. And so one of the things is, you know, I think there's a, I think there's a lot to be said for developing and documenting relationships in those sort of one-on-one -on -one settings versus blasting out on social media that gives you a much greater degree of, of actual connection, but also I think kind of protects you and your company. No doubt about it. And again, it's going to separate you from the pack if you're remembering people. And if we take a picture right now of the screen, I'm telling you, if I don't get 10 cards from an initiative from Jordan Adler on people sending me postcards to this, I don't know how he did it, but every week I get 10 different shots of me on this show from people that Jordan directed to do that, that make me feel good. And all those, those postcards come in and I just look at them and smile because I feel remembered and thought of. And that's all I want, especially at age 70. I don't want any of that garbage anymore. Nothing else matters except being here and being relevant. And that's what they do. So we're coming back, contactmapping.com. Go there, plug in, let's go. And we're back, final segment with the boys. And I am so honored that they got on this show with us because these guys are the cream of the crop of integrity and courage and standing up and telling us all what we need to hear. And Donna Maria Saratella or whatever her name is, that's a, that is a very compliant, great woman that I know you guys all know. But we've got to get these minds together. And it might be under Richard Brooks' umbrella. It might just be a giant think tank. But we've got to, we've got to band together and not shoot inward anymore and just basically make sure that we're getting, the, you know, I, I think about a company that I know of that's a very, very good company that's getting decimated by scumbags. In fact, I know two companies that are getting decimated by those scumbags because those guys get to make the income claims and these two companies that I'm talking about don't. So those people, their hands are tied by their integrity and their company's ethics and these guys out here doing all that crazy stuff get to just hammer these people, acting like they're making all this money in their sleep, and it's just wrong. We've got to stop that so the good guys win. Do you guys agree? Yeah, let me let me say something on that, Tommy. I don't think it's company ethics. I don't think a company can have ethics. I think we need to – that's part of our, their, our problem. We look at big tech. We look at government. We need to nail this down to the individuals. And say it's these individuals. I mean, I don't mind calling out names. I'm not going to do it on your show. I don't want you to get sued. But I mean, at the end of the day, when a company owner is just letting this crap happen, yeah. then then they need to be called out. But that also brings up something. Both Kevin's have talked about education, talked about training. We don't have that. I mean, companies aren't going to do it, and and unless they get hit by the FTC. So what can we do as, as influencers, the attorneys, Tom, myself, what can we do to say, look, here is a guideline. Let's just get this out here for people. What, how, do, how do we start this process? KJ, I'll, I'll take that real quick. Uh, the, the question is, how, how should executives run their businesses? And there's, there's really no scientific way. Uh, my experience dealing with a lot of startups, I'm sure KG is the same 
out, outlook is that a lot of folks are good at launching companies. They're not great at running companies. And uh, so a lot of folks, they have, hey, a great product, great software. They stitch together some fulfillment capabilities, merchant processing, and they, they put some basic pieces together. But when it comes time to actually running a business, a lot of them don't want to do that. And compliance requires uh, an executive that's willing to run a company and hire somebody to do that. And then when you hire people, you have to, you have to manage the staff, you have to provide equipment and a space for these folks and, and an environment. And a lot of people don't do it. And so to answer your question, it takes an executive willing to run a business and, and place a, a high priority on compliance and, and giving compliance personnel the flexibility. A lot of, a lot of times uh, I, I know a couple of folks watching this that are, um, uh, that work in compliance, Michelle Watner, Andrea Weiland, Donna Marie Saratella, yeah. these folks, they they're don't, they, they're, they're not given the flexibility to do their jobs. But right? that's, because that's Kevin, that's at the, I, I almost think that's an excuse. And, and here's why it's the reps that need the education. It's the reps that are out here making these claims. I agree. The companies need to be run better, but if we're not educating reps as they're rolling in here, and I mean, we churn through people, I get that. But it's top level influencers that are saying, I'm making $4 million a month. Look at me. Look at my boat. Look at my. How, how do we start that process of education from, from a gatekeeper standpoint? So the regulators actually say, OK, at least the gatekeepers are paying attention and they are trying to get people out there. Because, heck, man, I know a couple of attorneys, if you pay them enough money, They'll launch your crypto business or your Forex business, even though you're probably going to get shut down. So, I mean, yeah. we've got to start somewhere. Not this one. I know you don't. Yeah. Um, um, Troy, yeah, my, my response would be, you know, you know, KT's been talking about a, a top-down approach to compliance and, and education. But I think we also need to look at a, at a bottom-up. I think field leaders, I think, you know, rank-and-file distributors need to start getting excited about compliance, you know, when, when we heard when we hear the word compliance, we normally think of just a couple things like you know monitoring what the field is doing, correcting what the field is doing, um, you know, policing things like that. But there are actually seven different components that go into an effective compliance program. And we've talked about several of them, but the the one that is almost universally lacking is what you guys have all been talking about: education and training. And and but there is a resource, and and I you know I want to make. Uh, or address something that Tom said too about just you know how you know the, you know some companies are making all these crazy income claims and others are you know are you know avoiding that um, and yeah obviously obviously that that that's a problem for everybody um, I actually cut this is really going to date things I cut a tape series years ago called what to look for and what to look out for in multi level marketing because the vast majority of people in this profession do not know how to analyze and do their due diligence. They don't know how to differentiate the illegal from, you know, from the legal. And then with, you know, within legitimate network marketing companies, they don't know how to differentiate the average from the exceptional. But, you know, also, you know, and again, because, um, you know, I mean, I've been doing compliance work for almost 30 years and, and it's always, it's the same, same issue, different person. And so actually, 10 years ago, I was motivated to develop an online distributor compliance training program called MLM Compliance VT because the companies and, and actually most of them don't have the, the human resources to develop 
uh, this information. And so they don't, but it's just, it's just really not even on their radar screen. And so, you know, and that's something interesting we've seen too, you know, in the FTC versus Herbalife case, Herbalife got an FTC mandated distributor compliance training program crammed down its throat. And, and this actually started about 10 years ago, Maryland versus Viridian, Maryland versus North America. Okay, Co Kevin, hang on one sec. We got to get out of here, but nobody leave. We're not really leaving. This has been the Network Marketing Leadership Show. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening. Okay, we aren't gone. Hold that thought. Keep going. We're still alive on Facebook. Keep talking. Okay. Well, um, yeah, it's just, you know, the industry uh, in a lot of different regulatory arenas has just been, you know, not just slow to respond, but actually vehemently opposed to, uh, you know, to responding, whether it's, you know, with response respect to customer requirements, income claims, product claims. So I think one of the great things that, you know, all influencers could do is, is, you know, using our influence to, I think, not just help executives to understand, but also to help folks, you know, from, from the ground up understand, because, you know, I mean, gentlemen, how would our profession be impacted if the vast majority of people truly understood what a pyramid looked like and how it operated? How would this profession be impacted if, you know, folks, you know, recognized unsubstantiated product claims and, and improper income claims? It would be better. It would grow. Let, yeah. let, me, ask, let me ask you two a question, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date myself again. But when we look at uh, Babner, when we look at NARA, these guys used to have just a plethora of documents and stuff that they had written and stuff. You guys have got an awesome blog. But, but how, how can we get more information like that into the hands of reps to where we're not dealing with an association? It's just we're all trying to push this out. Is there a way that we can do this, maybe with Tom's show and stuff like that? Yeah, we could put together a newsletter that covers basics. It's not a bad well, idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I think on you know the Thompson Burton website, like you mentioned, Troy, we've got a, a pretty – Good sized blog. Uh, I mean, Kevin's been a just an awesome, uh, prolific, and informative writer. Uh, I'm I'm trying to take my game up in that regard, and and uh, you know get more content out because yeah, to your point, there's such a need for it. And whatever we can do, uh, you, you know, I, I do this with clients. You know, part of my explanation is I, I want to move folks up as far up the MLM legal learning curve as they want to go. Again, I'm not trying to turn anybody into an attorney. I wouldn't wish that fate on anyone, but um, you know, all the players in this space need to understand the laws and the regulations that directly impact their business. And so that's what we're I think that's that's what both KT and I are, are trying to do, not only with clients, but with with anybody who's willing to learn. Well, you and Troy and KT and K, all these initials for Kevin's, you guys could easily put together a website inside of Thompson Burton that. Troy was the gatekeeper for that would literally vet the articles that were getting onto your site that were the thought leaders, like the people that have been commenting here today, uh, your compliance people, Donna, Richard Brooke, people like that, that could write articles that people could go to and trust to keep us all out of trouble. And it wouldn't be very expensive. 
and it would have the credibility of your firm behind it, the integrity of Dooley, and the brains of all these various people. I was at Stacy Clark's deli on Sunday with Hammock, and we got into a conversation about Mary Kay and the older companies out there and how you didn't hear about the million dollar earners all the time in the old days. In fact, they were few and far between. You heard about those people that was the queen for the day. And it was really, really refreshing to me uh, because I think that emphasis on all these big money makers and big income earners really, really, really steers people wrong. And it's great to have that possibility out there, but this is for ordinary people making a little bit of money. And how do we get that message across without you guys taking point on it? Because you really are the point, whether you're admitting it or not. Yeah, something to think about. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't mind Troy working for free. <laughs> it's, it's agreed then all in favor <laughs> let's vote it's unanimous only one, one I, I do think uh and i'm kind of committing ourselves to work i, I like the idea of committing or, or writing some basic content and, and kevin and i will talk about this offline but maybe content about income claims content about product substantiation product claims that's less legalese, more digestible for the field. I think that could be good. That could be a good newsletter and, and good for business. And then we could also open it up for other people to contribute. That's actually a pretty good idea. Well, um, it's, I hesitate it's, to say that, Tom, because I don't want to blow up your ego, but that's not a bad <laughs> idea. Well, Great idea. I, I'm sick of that. I am. The associations, man, I just can't deal with that deal off the playing off the bottom of the deck and the people that act like they're an association that aren't dealing off the back of the deck and bottom of the deck and everything being, you know, just a backroom conversation. And I don't see that with you guys. I don't see that with Troy. And I think we could really hold us to all to a, a higher level of integrity and do some big stuff. So Craig, yeah. I'm sorry, uh, Troy, you were going to say something. Well, what I was going to say is that, that we have to get the, the big income earners, to understand this, you know, the, the, the rank and file that's earning 50 bucks a month or 500 bucks a month. They're not the ones out there yelling and screaming and showing all of their income. It's, it's these people at the top in the field. And I, and I don't know if it's out of ignorance that they don't understand they could lose it all. Mm -hmm. I mean, Tom Alcasm is, is a perfect example of somebody that had to sell his million dollar home to be able to pay fines. They don't, yeah. they don't, they don't get that. And maybe that's part of what we, I'm not into fear of loss, but maybe we need to go back and look at some of the top distributors over the last 20 years who who got it, lost it. I mean, Rob DeVore, prove it. He's got a million dollar judgment from the FTC that's still out there. All these guys that, that could share their story. I mean, we've still got people in the industry. Maybe part of that, Tom, is getting them on your show. So that, so that they can share their story on what they learned when they lost it all and had to rebuild it. Yeah, that's a good call. Troy, to your point, um, th this is a real war story. This was probably, I don't know, 15 years ago. I had a, a client, medium-sized medium MLM company, and they were having their executive leadership council, and the CEO wanted to make some really good changes to the compensation plan. Good from a regulatory perspective. was getting massive pushback from the field. So he asked me if I'd be willing to come in and and talk to the, the leadership council. And I said, sure, but here's the thing. I know these guys. They know me. I know what their response is going to be. It's like they're going to be respectful. They're going to listen. They're going to pat me on the head and say, you know, thank you, lawyer boy. Go away. And I said, I have a friend 
who was the number two earner at one of these companies that got sued by the FTC. He got sued personally. So he's been in bed with the FTC throughout that entire litigation. How about I bring him in to tell them, to tell your leaders what it's like to do the dance with the FTC? The CEO was all over that. So I came in, I said what I needed to say, got exactly the response I predicted. Then my friend started to tell his story. Within 15 seconds, all of the leaders' jaws were on the floor. Sure. You could have heard a pin drop in that room. Anyway, my friend told his story, lasted about 45 minutes. We got up and left. The next day, I, I called the CEO just to ask, you know, did, did you have any luck in persuading your leaders? He said, oh, my gosh, they're so fired up about the changes, so excited about the changes we want to make after they heard your friend's story. And, and again, I think there's you know, this paradigm that, well, that could never happen to me. You know, I'm Superman. I'm Teflon. You know, bullets bounce off me. That, that, could, that could just never happen to me. Let me ask a question on that. And you two might be good on this. I, get, I just got a text from a guy that said, I don't need to worry about this. All my money's in Dubai. So that, that seems to be the new narrative is, hey, if my assets aren't on shore, I'm OK. Can, can you can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, yes, I can. Yeah. Um, the, the FTC. And this is not new. Uh, I'm going to say about 20 years ago. And KT, Tom Troy, I don't know if you heard of this. Uh, remember Fortuna Alliance? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, OK. So the FTC, I don't remember which year the FTC went after Fortuna Alliance. They raided their offices in Seattle and they had these 40 gallon trash bags full of cash. OK, but that was just the tip of the iceberg. Fortuna had spirited the vast majority of its cash offshore into the Caymans, Isle of Man, various banking havens around the world. The FTC went to every single country and every single penny. You're kidding that me. One. That was no, that was 20 years ago. Just think what they can do today. Yeah. Well, and they think they're immune. I mean, it's it's just so sad that, and they also think that the FTC and all these guys are so stupid because, well, I live in the United States, but my business is offshore, so therefore my business is immune. No, no, it's where you are and just don't do illegal stuff. That's probably the bottom line is stay in compliance with your absolute integrity and the integrity of the profession and give it up because it's just wrecking everything. And this is a great profession that doesn't need wrecked. Uh, we got to get out of here because I got to take my Metamucil. So we're uh, these guys are the greatest. And you have just been great. And we want to do another show. So anytime you guys want to do a show or if you just want to do a town hall and use this facility for it, which is pretty snazzy, we could put any kind of background on it that you want and really make it something and get some people in here like the thought leaders that have been commenting all the way through here. These half mm -hmm. of these compliance people, I want you to friend me up on Facebook because I don't know you. And that is wrong on me because people that are making a stand for integrity in this profession, I need to know, I want you on my show. I've had Donna Maria on here. She actually was on my show and sent me, I want to say this, the most memorable gift I think I've ever gotten in my life from a, from a virtual stranger. She went out and bought me the history of Alcoholics Anonymous and how they wrote that big book. And it was a giant book. It came in a giant box wrapped to the T. And that thoughtful woman sent me that book. And I will never forget it. 
which takes me to the point of contactmapping.com. Oh, did I mention that again? And, uh, you know, just remember people. And, uh, you know, that was not a pithy postcard. That was a real present. I love you guys with all of my heart. Everybody have fun. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all later. Bye-bye. guys. That was fun. Bye, guys. See ya. Wow. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can get a lot more content like this going to contactmapping.com.